Thank you so much for that prayer, Brother Boyd. Thank you guys for leading us in a beautiful singing today. So uh, we're in a transition time right now. Of course, the summer is where we leave a little bit more flexibility for uh, teaching. Normally, we stay with the text of the Bible throughout most of the year. And then in the summer, um, we just uh, talk about various various subjects. And uh, this is a sermon that I gave in Louisiana, at least the initial form of it, I, I want to say more than a year ago, and uh, since that time I've thought I would give it here at some point, and this is just an opportunity that I'm taking to, to give this sermon. I think it came about, if I remember right, it came about because I was asked some questions while I was in Louisiana by a, by a brother there uh, related to fellowship, related to identifying what it is that matters in scripture, how we draw lines of fellowship, or things, things something along those lines, and uh, Prompted by that, I believe that's when I uh, said, well, let me just uh, explore this in the scriptures. And uh, now I want to share with you what I shared with them. So uh, I've got the title there, the main thing. I think I may have told you guys this at some time in the past. But uh, when I was a kid, uh, my dad, this was, I guess, our catechesis. Uh, <laughs> uh, our dad would ask us, what's the main thing? And uh, or Probably in Louisiana terms, we would say the main thing, the main thing, it's a little bit different, uh, and uh, the main thing was to be a Christian. Right? Now, I would say that a little bit differently now, um, because I think even the way that answer is framed, good as it is, and I'm thankful to have the heritage that I have that brought me up knowing that being a Christian is super important, I would want to place the emphasis not on what I am being or doing, but on what God who God is and what God is doing. So, so I would say the main thing is uh, to surrender to the love of God, something like that, which is going to lead us to be a Christian when we do that. But uh, something along those lines, uh, it's the main thing. We get so distracted sometimes from what's really important. Imagine every now and then you'll hear, you know, about somebody who runs into a burning house to save a child. And we know that's a beautiful, great thing. Imagine that you heard a story where somebody, their house was burning down, flames were all around, they ran back inside, and, and then suddenly you see them coming out, and they're, they're pulling their TV, right? Or maybe dragging their favorite recliner, trying to get it out the door. We would know that something is badly wrong with that person's values, right? They've gotten confused. And I want to say to you that in the church, many times we've gotten confused about the things that really matter. And uh, if we stay confused about the things that matter most in Christ, then we risk doing great harm to the cause of Christ. And I want to say to you just up front that the main thing, the thing that matters most is the gospel. And we need clarity about the gospel, and we need to to know the center of the Christian faith being this message. And then we need to know how to proclaim that, how to live that, how to let it take up its life among us. That's the main thing. And uh, when we start with that, everything else will fall into place. Now today, I want to go with you to uh, the book of 2 Corinthians. Of course, last year we learned that the book of 2 Corinthians is the most important book in the Bible by far, because of how much attention we gave to it. 
but I want to go back to the book of 2 Corinthians. And uh, I'm going to do something a little bit differently than normal today. I've got a bunch of scripture up on the PowerPoint, and that may be kind of annoying, maybe kind of annoying to me, actually, as I speak. I don't normally do this, but, but in order to just kind of cover this text uh, and get to, the, get to the point, we're going to look at a, a more of a chunks of scripture here. I may read over some of it kind of quickly. You feel free to pull out your Bible and, and check it as we're, if we're moving too fast for you, but that's, that's what we're going to do today is, is cover a good bit of text. So... Um, the first thing we want to say about 2 Corinthians, you're looking at chapters 2 through 4 here, about the main thing, things that are most important. Uh, when we talk about that, the main thing is the proclamation is Christ. Now, I've got to tell you something about my sermon before we go any further. I know this is going to be a great sermon. And I'll tell you how I know that. Uh, it's the alliteration in my points. But I know great sermons have points with alliteration. I usually don't have those. But today I do, so you can see as we go. The first point here is the proclamation is Christ. Paul says, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. If you guys studied this last year in our 2 Corinthians studies, or earlier this year, whenever it was, uh, you may have talked some about the background here that Paul is referencing. So there would be, uh, after a victory, after a, a Roman general uh, was victorious in battle, he could be awarded by the Senate a parade through the city of Rome. And basically just, just like a, a, a big parade celebrating the victory. Um, and you, there, in that parade, though, there would be captives from the, the battle or from somewhere. They would have these captives taken and led along, maybe by a rope or something, through that parade in front of the conquering general's chariot as he as he moved through the parade and then they would lead them through the city or wherever it was and, and eventually they would take them to a place where the imminent captives would be executed so so if you can just imagine um like a year and a half ago or so when we did the uh, some of us with cr did the uh the irving christmas parade right? big deal people all around just imagine something like that, and only at the end of it we execute some people. And uh, that, that's what it is. <laughs> um, so they, they, uh, they would travel through the city, and they would uh, parade, literally parade these captives before them. And Paul imagines himself now in this kind of triumphal procession, Christ leading him as a captive. And as he goes... He spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. Now, one of the things that was uh, regular in, in, in Roman civic religious rituals uh, is uh, the burning of incense or fragrances, things like that. And so that may be what he's drawing on here is this, this fragrance that goes, goes with him in this parade. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to others a fragrance from life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? So he says this fragrance, this message we're bringing doesn't bring life to everybody. Some people are perishing and they don't get it. You know some smells smell differently to some people than others. Years ago, when Avery was a little girl, we were driving along in Kentucky... 
and the smell of a skunk came wafting into our car. And she's just a little girl, and she said, I like that smell. <laughs> I'm sorry if that embarrassed you, but um, not everybody smells everything the same way, right? And uh, here Paul uh, presents a, a picture of, of them going along with these fragrances, but some people don't get it, right? But the people who do, it's life. And here's what we want to get, okay? When Paul's talking about what he's doing, what's his ministry about? Here's what it's about. It's about people knowing Jesus. That's the message. That's the aroma that spreads as he's going. And it's a beautiful picture. Paul does not picture himself as in the chariot driving captives, you see. He pictures himself as being led along as a captive. He has been taken captive by Jesus, which means it's okay. If you remember some of the things going on in 2 Corinthians, people insulting him, people putting him down, people thinking he's not qualified enough, not great enough, whatever it is. Paul said, that's okay, because all I am is a captured servant here. And I'm being led along, but somehow as Jesus leads me along, as I suffer, as I'm persecuted, as I'm beaten, as people say I'm nothing, somehow as I go, this message is going too, because Jesus is in it. And that's what matters. And this aroma of life comes up. And people receive it. And people are saved. That is the central proclamation. We'll come back to that in a minute. We'll see it specified a little bit more clearly. This is not a trivial thing. This is death and life that's at stake. That's the way Paul views it. So the proclamation, the central proclamation is Christ. The power is the Spirit. There were people, perhaps, who were saying, Paul, uh, you know, Paul's no good. You can't trust him, whatever. He, he ought to bring you letters of recommendation from powerful people who, who can say that he's uh, legitimate as an apostle, as a preacher to you. And Paul's like, what? What are you saying? Do I need to commend myself to you? Do I need to bring letters of recommendation to you? And then he does this clever thing where he shifts the focus. And he stops talking about the letters that are being written. And he says, you are my letter. Because when the aroma of Christ came around you, you breathed it in and you came alive. And that happened when I was there preaching. You yourselves recommend me. He shifts from talking about what other people are saying to talking about what is the Spirit of God doing. That's where you learn something about what God's in. That's where you learn something about what's really important. What is the Spirit doing? And you weren't written with ink. This wasn't something I could just take a pen and write down. The Spirit of the living God wrote, and then he kind of shifts things again. He starts talking about the Mosaic Covenant written on tables of stone. And he's saying, look, What's happened in you is more amazing than what happened when God wrote the law on stone. Because this isn't just stone we're talking about now. Now we're talking about human beings. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. The power at work when the gospel is preached is the spirit. What matters is what the living God has done. Not Wealth and honor, 
not status and recognition, not accomplishments and achievements, but what has God done through his Holy Spirit? That's where you are. If you're wondering who's legitimate, who's bringing God to you? Where did you find life? Paul said, you found it when I came among you as a servant, as a slave of Jesus, rejecting status, but proclaiming Christ as the king. And then he says, this ministry of death, continuing on talking about this, the old covenant carved in stone, it came with glory. It was a good thing, right? The, the law was good. We talked about this in some of our studies. And uh, the, the glory was so great that the Israelites couldn't look at Moses' face. And, and he, he came down and, and uh, had to cover up, had to put a veil over his face. And that was being brought to an end. He says, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? And you see the glory terms that I've highlighted there in bold throughout this passage. This glory is greater. He's saying the glory of the covenant you're in on is greater even than the old law. Now, if you're thinking the old law is a bad thing, this may not resonate with you much. But let me tell you something. The old law was a great gift of God. It was God's grace to people. They knew they were so blessed to have the old law and to have the old covenant. This was not a bad thing. It's just that something better came along. I, I use this illustration with you guys that I read somewhere else. Uh, uh, in some of our studies last year, but it's, it's like if somebody today were trying to sell you a telegraph machine. There's nothing wrong with the telegraph. Or maybe even think of a, a landline phone. And you plug it in at your house. Some of the kids don't even know what we're talking about. And you say, I want to sell you this. And, and and, well, that's a good thing, right? You can talk on the phone. But, but see, now I can take a, a cellular phone with me everywhere. I can talk all the time. I can be in communication with people all over the world if I want to be. Why do I need a telegraph or even a, a, a landline phone? Because there's a glory. That, that was a good thing for its time. It's just it's time for something else now. And there's a glory that surpasses it. That's what Paul's saying about what the Spirit has brought in the new covenant. There is something more glorious now. And we can be in on that. And we want to be in on that. My granddad, those of you who knew him, not, maybe not a lot of you, but he had a way of saying things. Mark's smiling over there. He knows him. Say things and repeat things. But at one point, he, he loved to hunt, and uh, we had an old property, it was called Burnsides, because that was, I think, the name of the people who uh, owned the property that my family rented from. And eventually, uh, my granddad and, and my family, they, they got a new property, and my granddad got into this new property, he loved it so much, so excited about it, and he, he would say things like, it's a wilderness paradise. Um, and, but one of the things that he would say is uh, it makes Burnside's obsolete. <laughs> makes Burnside's obsolete. Well, in a way, this is what Paul is saying about this new covenant where the Spirit of God is coming with power. It makes the old covenant obsolete. It wasn't a bad thing. It's just not what it seemed to be in comparison with this new thing. God has done something more glorious now. Jesus is glorious, and the Spirit of God lets us know Jesus as he is. Do you know that the Bible is not as glorious as Jesus? 
In a way, I think that's what they would have felt when they heard Paul say the law is not glorious compared to what the Spirit of God is doing. The Bible's great. I love the Bible. It's not as glorious as Jesus, the living word. Everything else we have is a pointer to this great glory that has come to us in Christ. Notice next. You see what I'm doing here? The purpose is transformation. I know y'all are impressed. I'm not done yet. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that they wouldn't gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil, and now you see he, Paul shifts. He's talking about the veil that Moses would put over his face, and he shifts it and says, now it's over the hearts of the people who can't understand. The people who refuse to believe when they, they hear the message. That veil is there, but in Christ, that veil is taken away. Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when, turns to, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's what people need. Freedom. Not freedom to do whatever we want. That's the way it's used sometimes. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about freedom to live like we were made to live. Freedom to live in God's world like God designed it to be. Freedom to be a human being who flourishes like God wants human beings to flourish. There's freedom in the Lord. And we all, with unveiled face now, those of us who are in Christ, we behold the glorious Lord. We see Jesus in his glory. And as we do that, we're being transformed into his image. And it gets more glorious over time. From one degree of glory to another. The purpose of all this is transformation. We're talking about central things. The proclamation is Christ. And the power is the Spirit. The purpose is... Is transformation. That's what God's after. He's not after getting a bunch of people who can prove themselves by keeping a bunch of weird rules. Getting a bunch of people who say, look at us, we come to church. God's about changing human lives. He's about putting Jesus Christ in the world through human beings. And he didn't go through all that he's gone through with sending Christ, his death, his resurrection, the outpouring of the Spirit, just so people could say, hey, look, I go to church and I'm a good American. God wants to fill the world up with his goodness through people like you who are sitting on these pews right now. That's what he's after. And see, because of these things then, because this is what Paul knows is true, he practices transparency. I'm digging deep here, guys. All right. The practice is transparent. Therefore, having this ministry, this ministry where God is involved, by the mercy, it's by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You see, Paul recognizes that, that because God is the one at work here, he can take his hands off the wheel. He's not trying to win something for himself. He can just present it. 
He can just say, I don't have to try to twist people. I don't have to try to pervert things. I don't have to try to mix things up to get something from people. God is the one doing mighty work. And so I can just stand up and speak the truth. Say, here it is. Renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways. Let people encounter God. The pressure is off. If we're involved in something really it's just glorious and this powerful where God is really at work, that takes the pressure off us. It's not up to us to save people. It's not up to us to try to make ministry successful. It's up to us to state the truth openly and say, God, take it and do your thing. Do what you do in people. We're not in the ministry of getting people to come to our church. We're not in the ministry of winning arguments. We're not in the ministry of showing ourselves successful. We're in the ministry of reconciliation where God does the reconciling. And we're just agents of his spreading that message. It's the ministry of life and glory and power. We're back to talking about the proclamation here. He said, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The people who are rejecting it, that's not my fault, <laughs> Paul says. It's, it's veiled to people who, who reject it and they're perishing. Uh, but I just speak the truth. In their case now, look at this. The, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Scholars believe that Paul is referring here, uh, at least uh, in his mind, is his experience of encountering Christ on the road to Damascus. Remember when he's knocked down and blinded by the light, and Jesus encounters him and says, Hey, Saul, Saul of Tarsus, wake up. You're going the wrong direction. He was blinded by the, the beauty of Christ. The brilliance of Christ shined in his face. And he says, people who are perishing, they're blinded. They can't see that. The gospel, the good news of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Guys, aren't you so glad that our loving Father sent Jesus into this world so we know who he is? That's the image of God, and we don't have to wonder who God is. We don't have to wonder what God would do to weak and broken people. We've seen him. We've seen what he does to the weak and broken. We don't have to wonder what God thinks about the poor and the outsiders and the marginalized who are hurting and, and, and sad and don't have any hope. We have seen what God does for those people. Because Jesus, the image of God, has revealed the heart of God. And in the good news, we're encountered with that Jesus. And then we enter into a life of learning to know him better and better and better and better. And letting that be reflected in our lives. Letting that be reflected in the church. For what we proclaim, when we get who this Jesus is, when we get who this God is, we know we can't preach ourselves. What we proclaim is not ourselves. But Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. Now we're back. He's using creation language. Why do you think he's doing that? I want to say to you that Paul understood that the same power that worked when God created the world is at work when God saves people. You ever thought about creation, what it would be to speak something into existence? 
to say there's no light. Now there is. <laughs> Let there be light. Thought about the power that's required to do something like that. Guess what? When somebody's truly saved, there's a similar light that God shines. And some of you know this very well because of your experiences. And it's not always experienced in the same way. But some people can relate to this more than others because you know what it's like to have been in total darkness and suddenly, boom, the light comes on. And you know you didn't do it. You know you couldn't have made it happen. But it happened. But God, who said let light shine out of darkness, shined in your heart. To get the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what we get in Christ. We begin to understand this. Paul had seen the risen Lord and he knew it. We can never forget, guys, that for Paul, this was real. Very few of us know what it's like to have a life change like Saul of Tarsus experienced, who was later called Paul. Giving up status and influence, giving up the direction of his life and scholarship and training under leading Jewish rabbis. Suddenly everything's different where he says, now I'm just a servant of Jesus. But it was because he knew he'd encountered reality and grace that he did not deserve. And that was going to direct everything else from there on out. And we spend so much time, I think, sometimes in churches trying to get people to do things. When they don't yet really know it's real. When they haven't yet really beheld the face of Christ. And said, you are the ultimate reality and I bow before you. It's in the light of that knowledge that everything changes. And then we get to the last place here. And I know I've let you down. Because I don't have anything that was alliteration for this one. But there, everything's coming together here. The, this is the culminating point. We have this treasure, Paul says, in jars of clay. Maybe I think the old King James would say we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see, a jar of clay is not that impressive, is it? It can be broken to pieces. It can be thrown away. But a jar of clay can also hold a treasure. And what Paul is saying, first of all, his application is to himself, his body, his life, saying, I'm just a jar of clay. I can be beaten, I can be pushed around, I can be persecuted. You can think I'm nothing, people can say I'm nothing, I can look like I'm nothing, I can be a bad speaker, I'm just a jar of clay. But this jar of clay carries a treasure with it. <laughs> and God placed it. In such a weak vessel as myself, Paul says. So that there's never any confusion about what we're proclaiming. <laughs> what we're proclaiming is that treasure. 
that Jesus, the God who's revealed in Jesus. And see, when we talk about what matters most, we have to distinguish very clearly in our minds vessels from the treasure. And the first application, of course, here is in, in the text, it's to Paul, his body, his life. But then it could be to anything um, that's a vessel. Anything in our, in our Christian practice, in our church practices that are just really containers and not the ultimate thing we're after. I've, I've used this illustration before maybe with you, but I had a professor who said this years ago. He said, it's a, he, he said have you ever tried to point for a dog? You tell the dog, over there. The dog just keeps looking at your finger. This is the way it is a lot of times with our, with our practices in Christ. They're just vessels. They're, they're just like pointing. And, and, and God says, hey, use this to look over there. And instead, we just stare at the finger. Instead of looking over at the treasure. And we need to get clarity on what is a vessel and what is a treasure. And make sure we don't get stuck looking at the finger that's pointing. Instead, look at where it's pointing to the things that are most important. Sometimes we would naturally say, we preach Christ, and that is the treasure. But when the house starts burning, we start grabbing the TVs. (laughs) And we start pulling the recliners. And we lose sight of what the real treasure is. You know, this, this relates to our, our work trying to be an ecumenical church. We've talked openly about that. Um, we want to unite with others in Christ who have the treasure. Those who hold to the faith that's been handed down through the ages. Those who embrace this Jesus and the truth about him. They are our brothers and sisters. We don't think they do everything right. They don't think we do everything right. That's okay. Because we share the treasure together. We don't have to try to do everything like they do do it. To say, you're our brother, you're our sister, we're united together sharing the treasure. There are all kinds of different ways that people are living out being Christian. And there's a Baptist way to be Christian. There's a Methodist way to be Christian. There's a Presbyterian way to be Christian. There's a Church of Christ way to be Christian. And some of those ways are better than others. Or at least maybe individual things within those ways we'd say are better than others. We don't just check our brain out and say nothing matters, right? Or some things aren't more important than other things. But what we always have to do is come back to the central thing and say, the treasure is not those things. The things that distinguish us. The things that may make us feel like we're better than others. The treasure is the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Knowing him, loving him, inviting others to love him. There's a guy... U.S. Representative, uh, I believe he's from Louisiana, uh, Charlie Melanchthon, who uh, took office uh, before Hurricane Katrina, uh, just a few months before Hurricane Katrina hit Louisiana. Then after that, Hurricane Rita hit, uh, and uh, that was just three weeks later. And he uh, worked with Louisiana to bring billions of recovery dollars to to Louisiana. And here's, here's just something he said. And I think it's an interesting quote. When you're pulling people out of the water and off of rooftops, there are no Republicans and no Democrats. (laughs) 
some things are clarifying. Some things help us to reorganize our priorities. And what I want to say to you is the body of Christ needs to be deeply engaged in pulling people off the rooftops and out of the water. And if we did that, we wouldn't be so distracted by things that are less important. We need to be engaged in getting people to see and receive the main thing. The light of the glory of the gospel of Christ is the main thing. I'm thinking about Rocky and Lori. Um, since we've been here, we've seen them uh, come to know the Lord. And uh, now they're dear people to me. And I believe you guys have told me things before, like looking back at your past. Right? I don't know why we didn't see it. Or we were, we were just blind. You know what happened for them? The light came on. The light of Christ shined in their hearts. And they came to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And that light clarified things. And it brought them to a place where they could see, they could look back at their past and say, Wow, I didn't see it then, but I see it now. And you see, that light that shines when you see people receiving that, when you see that changing and opening minds and hearts, then you know that's what we're after. That's what really matters. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to give our lives to, give our church to, is, is bringing people to see and to share that kind of life and that kind of light. And when you see that, you know how beautiful and good it really is. Will you open yourself up this day to a fresh expression of the Spirit of God in your own heart so that that light will burn and shine more brightly? And let that clarify everything else for you. Let me pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for the light you have shined to us through our Lord Jesus. And would you let us see him more clearly all the time. And give us grace to live from his beauty and goodness uh, with each other and with the world around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.